Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Guys, thanks for coming on and listening. You have a lot of options out there. This is your original blue collar elk hunting podcast. We are all about crushing the elk hunting learning curve, but more importantly, we're about crushing life and how we do that is we leverage elk hunting and we create more discipline in ourselves through elk hunting. It sounds funny, it's funky, but man, I'm here to bring you guys awesome guests that maybe you haven't heard of, maybe you have, but I want to cover anything, everything, exercise, physiology, nutrition, psychology, fiscal fitness, like finances, like crushing debt, not being the average American. In fact, anything having to do with being average i'm allergic so i want to talk about technical archery advanced tactics for killing elk public land elk hunting has never been more popular you're gonna have to do something different to be a 10 percenter if you literally want to punch your tag year in and year out and i'm i'm always nervous and i prepare probably almost as much if not more than anybody out there when it comes to all the things I do getting ready for elk hunting. And so if you don't think I'm worried, you're wrong. I am. And so if I'm worried, I think a lot of you should be too. You got to separate yourself. And to do that, separation is in the preparation. And I always want you to listen to this podcast and be more motivated once it's over to get out there and go get some. So we're bringing on Travis Nowotny. Travis is a dude who's really quiet and humble. He's on this podcast. We talk an hour about all things elk hunting and mule deer hunting on public land, over-the-counter tags. Dude's a predator. Look him up. I'll provide some links to a YouTube video or two of his, his Instagram. 
and even a pair of his stocking boots that he actually has his own brand and he never plugs it on this. So I'm going to go ahead and give him a shout out. Um, check out his stocking boots. Uh, I think they're called Rimrocks. I have a pair. My, my wife bought me maybe his second, his second run of boots a couple years ago and they're always in my pack. And so dude's awesome. Super blue collar. He's an electrician. And he built his own house. We get into that a little bit. We talk about all the things he does to kill elk. And uh, I'm excited to have him on. So let's get over to the business side of things. And the online elk shape camp is there. A lot of you guys are probably not going to sign up for it this time of year since elk season's right around the corner. But if you do, I'll tell you what, you get a full year access to digest all those videos. And this time of year, you might want to cut right to the full episodes we do with Dirk Durham on all the things calling from how to start calling to how to do all the advanced sounds. You're going to have to know the fundamentals to be able to do the advanced ones. And then all the different types of scenarios, you're going to want to probably hook up and watch those first. Maybe go through some of Ryan Lampers' backcountry gear, nutrition, his dump. He takes his pack and dumps it out and goes through that. That's all on there. You get a year access. It's 99 bucks, and it's all digital. You might like that. It's not too late if you have uh, a hunt mid-September to try 21 days to elk shape or maybe you're a rifle hunter. Hey, get in there, get the 21 days done, and let me know how you do. Kinetrek boots, that's what I'm rocking, the guide series, non-insulated. I like a higher top. You can use the scramble boots that they have. Those are cool, but if you want to get gaiters on your boots, I highly recommend it. Try the Kinetrek gaiters in the checkout. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE, get $25 off your gaiters. That's going to expire October 31st, so be be aware. Uh, there's a lot of e-bikes out there, and you kind of get what you pay for. E-bikes are awesome, especially when you can't use a dirt bike or a four-wheeler and you're looking to cover as much country quietly. Check out Backcountry e-bikes. I have one. I have the trailer. Use a discount code ELKSHAPE300. Save 300 bucks. These are a higher value type of bike, more quality components. They're going to last longer and they're made for hunting. Off-Grid Food Co. still got that discount code, ElkShape2019, to save 10%. Siberian Coolers, ElkShape2019, to save 10%. Caribou Game Bags, ElkShape is the discount code, save 15%. Elk101's University Elk Hunting, discount code is ElkShape, save 20%. And they have an audio version that you can listen to while you drive down to your elk hunt. You might want to do that. You can literally listen to the whole university. It's all audio-based. You can skip around from chapters to chapters, and maybe you're getting stumped on a particular bull. Find the chapter. Listen to Corey drop knowledge bombs. It's a win-win. Onyx Hunt. Elk Shape will get you 20% off. I think uh, I don't have to even say anything anymore at this point. You should have it. Those are discount codes. I wanted to basically set the stage for Travis. The guy is a family man. He's married, he works four tens as an electrician. He's down there outside of Boise. He's been in the hunting industry for a long time. He's written several articles for different uh, publications. Like I said, he's got his own stalker boot company. I think it's called Rimrock. You should check him out. And I'm, I'm pumped to have him on. So let's get to this. You know, September is almost here. You should be doing your final gear walkthroughs. Your broadhead should be tuned. Your, your map should be loaded up, ready to go on Onyx with all your hunt plans and hunt areas. Your digital e-scouting should be done. Your physical fitness should be dialed. You should almost start to think about tapering 
and you should be daydreaming or at least visualizing where you get unlimited reps on how you're going to execute that perfect shot and call that bull in or sneak in, whatever you're going to do. I can't wait, guys. I appreciate you listening to this podcast. You have a lot of choices. Trust me, we appreciate it. And if you want to support this cast, check out some of the swag in the store. Tell a friend. Share with a buddy this podcast. Give us a review. And without further ado, this is Travis Nowatney, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. All right, guys. Tonight, I am sitting down chatting via Skype with Travis Nowatney. Is that how you say your last name? That's it. Perfect. Yes. And uh, for those that don't know who he is or who what he's about, you should follow him on Instagram and just scroll through. You'll learn real quick. Dude's a killer. Uh, he's been doing it a long time, and he's extremely consistent, and he's blue-collar. And he hunts public land, so he absolutely qualifies to come on this podcast, man. Travis, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. So, Oh, no doubt. And my pleasure, really. So we've never met in person, and that sucks because uh, I, I think you and I have a lot in common, and we both get after it. But you definitely have – I think you're pretty well-rounded when it comes to hunting. Um you know, everything from predators, wolves, giant mule deer, very consistent with elk. And since elk season's literally a week out for most people, we'll probably start there. What are your plans for elk season 2019? Uh, I'm just going to do my usual uh, Idaho over the counter. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great time. So uh, just, just like everybody else, you know, just getting after it and trying to make something happen so how do you decide like where to spend your time since you are a mule deer guy too um how do you decide where to go first or what what species to hunt i usually hunt deer until either i tag out or i'm just sick of deer hunting and then i'll i'll go elk hunting but usually uh oh by the second week of september for sure i'm bow hunting elk so so the opener for your deer uh, in Idaho, as long as you didn't draw something special, is August 30th? Yep, that's right. Okay, so that is probably one of your favorite days of the year. Oh, it is. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate. I, I usually try to start it a little early. I'll, I'll get like a Utah. Uh, I'll put in for the Utah general tag, and they start like August 18th. And actually this year, I was able to uh, have some luck in the draw, and I drew a Nevada tag. So August 10th. I'll be uh, on the mountain. So, right on. Are you going to a new unit, new to you, or have you been there before? I've never hunted Nevada, so uh, long time coming. Okay, well, we uh, we'll have to talk offline since we don't talk units on this podcast. Sorry, guys, but uh, I've been there a few times for deer, killed a few. I've uh, I've ate a tag at least once, but every time I've gone, I've had opportunity and. Uh, man, they're so stingy with tags that you can really get away from hunting pressure. Love. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a great hunt. I mean, it's just big mountain range, and there's a bunch of different mountain ranges in my unit. So I think there's definitely going to be opportunity to get away from guys. And from what I hear, there's a ton of deer. So You burn a lot of points for this tag? No, I only burnt four, but, you know, that's a that's a lot of points for a guy that you know, wants to hunt every year. So, <laughs> Oh, I feel you. I love Nevada's opening date of August 10th. Would you take heed other States? Like 
us archery guys will apply, apply, and give you our money. Just open up early. Like, uh, August 30th isn't bad, but, like, uh, you know, Utah is one of the few states that opens pretty early, but nobody opens, like, August 10th for actual mule deer. Not blacktail, but mule deer. So um, I'd like to see Washington open up something. Theirs doesn't open until September 1st, and so I never really mess with Washington mule deer. And we have some good mule deer. It's just I'm kind of an elk guy. Um, but August is a great time for me to hunt mule deer or um, antelope. I drew uh, I drew a tag for Idaho that opens August 15th. It's that uh, that one mule deer tag that gives you – it's almost like the unlimited. It just gives you all these units on the east side. You know which oh, one yeah. I'm talking about? yeah. Yeah, I haven't b- bought it yet, though. Oh, it's a good hunt. So is it? Yeah, I think so. I mean that that early start date really helps. So I um, know, I know, but it's tough for me to like go. Like I'm literally obsessed with uh, antelope meat, and it's tough for me to like go down there with two tags, and then I'm I'm turning around leaving for Wyoming. Um, yeah, it's good problems to have, but I haven't bought the tag yet, so. We'll talk offline on that as well. I'm just going to annoy the listeners that you got to be somewhat secretive on this stuff. I've been burnt, and I have been pretty transparent on this podcast, uh, sometimes to my own detriment on hunting places. So some things I keep kind of tight-lipped. But, you know, mule deer, let's talk about mule deer just a a little bit since, you know, you've stacked quite a few up archery-wise. What first, First question off the cuff is... About what's your average distance shot on mule deer? Oh, I would say somewhere uh, average. I'm going to say 30 yards. I would say average. Closest. 10, 12 feet. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I like that. I like that. And furthest? Pushing the, I think, 79 yards, something like that. You know? Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't like to let it loose unless I know I'm going to kill them. So I usually you can always usually get closer. So yeah, my my deal is get as close as possible on all things. Like that's why I bow hunt. Definitely like your style. You put them to bed, get above them most times. Have you ever done any like actual get out in front ambush or like kind of pattern them and try to get them while they're walking by? Or do you generally like to bed? Make sure they rebed get them in the middle of the day Uh, generally that's the plan but uh you know i'm definitely opportunistic if a buck you know feeds over the skyline and i can close that gap right behind him or you know maybe the wind picks up and his guards down or seems like most of the time i just get as close as i can comfortably and i'll just sit and wait you know um and just wait for them to make the next move wait for them to stand up and then then it's it's go time so so, level of nerd on bow, I'm going to find out right now. Do you own a bow press? I don't. Okay. I'm just checking because you seem like a DIY guy just following along Instagram for a couple years now. I've seen you do your own house. Uh, I've seen somebody did a video with you in your garage on something. I'm trying to remember. I saw that and just the dude does a lot of DIY. So, I figured, who? so who do you have work on your bow? Uh, usually, uh, archery central here in, uh, Caldwell. So Danny Aiden. Yeah. So, I figured you had a guy specifically that you yeah, like. I, th- that's it. He, he treats me good. And, uh, you know, 
I, I tinker with my stuff a lot. You know, I fletch all my own arrows and do all that stuff, and I'm constantly adding point weight and that kind of stuff and trying things like that. But as far as, you know, it's just easier just to go down there and, and they take care of me. So I go in there and they, they make time for me and do it right then, and I walk out happy. So, so on strings, do you always put custom strings on? I usually do, yeah. yeah. Danny usually makes a custom death heart bowstring for me, so it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I figured I'm I'm a custom string guy through and through. Nothing against factory strings. I just I just know better. And it's it's getting the strings off the stretcher right onto the bow, not putting them into a bag, into some sort of retail package, and then on the shelf or shipped. Get them stretched and put them right on your bow. Um, so let's talk about tinkering a little bit and archery nerding out. So do you have different arrow setups based on species? Like, do you switch setups from mule deer to elk, or do you run the same system? Uh, I run the same system. I mean, as far as that goes, I, I, uh, most of the time I'm just screwing with, uh, uh, veins, you know, four fletch, three fletch. Uh, and then, like I said, right now I'm shooting those Pierce Platinums and you're able to add weight forward in increments of five, 10 grains, 20 grains. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Just tinkering with it and seeing what works the best. You know, I, I've always been a big fan of shooting 80 pounds just because I'm a bigger guy and I can, so why not? Um, oh, man, you know, it, I'm jealous. It, What's your draw length? Uh, I'm right about about 30 inches. So, Yeah, so you're shooting out – you're spitting out a pretty fast arrow. What's your total arrow weight, including like when it's all done? I think right now, all said and done, it's uh, 587. Yeah, so. so you got some foot pounds, you got some kinetic energy, and you're probably still – shooting over 300 for sure or real close i would imagine yeah i, I think i'm like uh, uh 293 yes like that, so. yes that's deadly um when it comes to broadheads i'm sure you're like me you've hunted long enough you've tinkered you've tried a lot uh what do you have the most confidence in knowing that you're mainly an idaho guy and you shoot a tuned bow which means you can shoot a fixed broadhead which is my preference. What have you kind of, what's your go-to choice there? Uh, I, I usually bounce, well, right now I really like those slick trick standards. I mean, just for the price point and how sharp they are and how well they shoot out of the package and uh, man, they leave a heck of a blood trail. So that's a four uh, blade. That's four blade. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've killed an oak with those and, uh, once and I, yeah, it was awesome. In fact, yeah. on that shot in particular, that was like a 10-yard shot, and I hit meat of the shoulder and still got a pass through. It was an FMJ, but I remember that. And it's, yeah, those those fly really well. So have you decided on what you're going to do as far as the back end of business goes? Do you like, I mean, I'm not a four-fletch kind of guy. I like to get as least amount of weight on the back end as possible, including like some. most times I don't even use wraps. Uh, but I don't know. Everyone's got their own different take. What have you settled in on for, for veins? Uh, I've been using a, a Silent Night 200 four-fletch. Uh, it's just super low profile, um, short, and I think it, it just gives me that good drag that you need to you know, really uh, straighten up a broadhead. But I've also, right now, I'm shooting... Uh, I've got two setups. i got that, and then I've got a... Uh, what the heck is it? An AAE Stealth Max Fletch, I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a three-fletch. Um, 
man, and it shoots really good too. I, I'm probably going to stick with that this year just because uh, the last couple years I've been using that Silent Night, and I just like mixing it up. So oh, for sure, we're always tinkering as hunters. Like good, better, best. What is the best absolute scenario? Um, when it comes to shot execution, since I've never hunted with you, I've never shot with you. What do you use for a release? I use a Scott, um, just a, a dual caliper, uh, just release. Just okay. not a back ten, not a back tension or anything like that. Just just a caliper release. So. Okay. And then um, as far as I'm just grilling you, but I just wanted to get your archery nerd stuff out of the way. So once you get your deer in Idaho and you kind of move on to your OTC elk tag, uh, how, like, are you into elk right out the gate or are you generally trying to see where the elk are at? Like, cause you haven't been scouting, you've been focused on deer. How do you go about finding elk right away? Um, I, I hunt open country and I do that on purpose just because Man, I cut my teeth when I was younger, especially when the wolves got really bad here. Um, man, the elk just, they stopped talking. They went, they were just in different places than, than we'd found them on years. And it, it just got frustrating not, you know, hunting a couple days and not even hearing a bugle or hearing them. And then you're kind of, you're kind of hosed, you know? So I, I've kind of leaned towards that open country where I can cover a lot of country, glass, and uh, I mean, the, the country that I'm hunting now, I'm putting, I'm on elk all day, every day. So, so do you think it's more of a, you're, you're going to intercept or are you going to be like crawling in on elk, uh, most, try to pattern them? Most, what, what are you doing? Most of the time it's trying to intercept them, cut the elk off as they're moving their way up the mountain or, uh, you know, if, if they slip into a timber patch or something like that, I might get the wind right and slip into the timber patch with them and, and you know try getting aggressive and getting that bull to come in you know so do you hunt solo primarily uh elk hunting no i usually hunt with my buddy rick palmer um usually i mean if i'm not hunting solo uh it's with him i, I don't like hunting with a lot of other people just because uh i my buddy Rick, for example, I mean, he's just driven. I, I, I think he's a better bow hunter than me, honestly. And, uh, I learn a lot from him and he's very driven and that drives me and we drive each other and kind of feed off it. So it really helps. So we work well together as a team. Have I met him before? He sounds, his name sounds so familiar. He's, he's pretty low key when it comes to social media, but you want to talk about a killer. Yeah, Rick Palmer. He's he's a killer. So, well, there's our there's our next guest. You know, I really like getting guys on that are not like pretty insta famous. Is kind of like a filter um, I like to throw on there. Um, guys that kind of keep to themselves. Guys that are just super consistent and get it done year in year out. And um, this guy intrigues me. So, how did you guys connect? Um, we kind of connected through another buddy and uh, here in Idaho. And uh, I mean, we just hit it off right off the bat Our just our styles. I mean, how we grew up, everything a lot is, you know, is the same and we have the same mentality. So it's, yeah, we just hit it off right from the beginning and started hunting and yeah, just, it's been awesome ever since. So. Okay. Well that's, so you guys are pretty good partnership. Like what's your style of hunting together? Are you guys just meeting up at camp at night 
or do you guys actually go out together and trade off shooter? Um, how, what's it look like? It it depends, but a lot of times we'll we'll just split up and go our our separate ways, and then meet at camp. So, uh, like I said, we're both uh, we both have limited time, and uh, you know we just we want to we're there to hunt for ourselves. You know, I mean it's kind of it's kind of the selfishness in both of us, but we work gel- well together, so it works out. No, I like that, man. I got a buddy named Ryan Altis. I do the same thing with. He's a better hunter than me, and we've hunted together and we just meet back at camp and it's good like we've helped each other out quite a bit but not like directly more like indirectly like hey i'm not going to check this area out anymore but i have been in there here's what's going on here's how you might want to approach it or here's what the elk are doing where i'm at and just bounce people you know you bounce ideas off each other and it's it's always kind of encouraging for the next day so when it comes to your deer and your elk spots um how like are they close within driving distance or are you literally having to relocate go home go to work like time off like just logistics of being a diehard mule deer hunter and elk hunter how do you do it all man uh it i mean they're they're definitely not in the same places in there throughout the entire state so it's depending on how scouting goes you know especially for mule deer uh you know i I might be, you know, seven hour drive from where I'm elk hunting. So usually I'm just a weekend warrior, you know, I'm fortunate to have some vacation where, uh, I really like to do like four day trips. So, you know, I work four ten, so I've got three days off anyway, and I'll make, take like a Monday off or a Friday or whatever. And, uh, and get, I think four days is perfect to hunt really hard and stay motivated and not burn, uh, just waste days, you know? Yeah, that's a pro tip, folks. If you're not listening, I think four days is way better than ten days. I, um, I, I'm pretty dedicated when it comes to hunting. After six days, you're yeah, you're ready to just. Uh, for me, I'm ready to rest and uh, wash my clothes and and get excited again and go back up motivated and and uh, it works good for me. So that's a good program, man. So in your elk area, do you have you said you had wolves. What are you got cats and bears and everything? Yeah, uh, I've kind of like I said the the there's a ton of wolves in all this country, but uh, I hunted. I grew up in Salmon, Idaho, so I kind of hunted that east side of the state pretty pretty heavily when I lived there. Uh, and like I said, the wolves were just at that point they were really bad, and it, it's it's better now that we can hunt them. It's a lot better, a lot better. So okay, so. In that area specifically, what when was it at its worst, and how do you think it got better? Like because of trapping or hunting, outlaw ranchers, um, fishing game themselves. Like, what when was it at its worst? Oh, uh, I I wouldn't say. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right before we could hunt them, you know, the population was the highest, and it was probably the worst. But uh, through a period of about. 10 years, uh, the elk hunting just was drastically going downhill. And a lot of it just had to do with, uh, the elk changing their habits. You know, Mm -hmm. you'd, you'd find elk at the top of the mountain where literally above mountain goats where they would, you know, they are never there normally. So, and they just shut up. They don't talk. And a lot of that area over there is pretty heavily timbered. So you're pretty, uh, 
you pretty much need them to be vocal to get on them for the most part. So Yeah, so did you get into trapping yet, or do you just rely on your long-range shooting ability? Uh, I trapped a little bit this year. I mean, it's really hard with my schedule and everything because you're your 72 hour check times and stuff like that. Um, I, I, uh, and, and this year was the first year that, uh, they had units open down here that weren't backcountry only units. So I'm able to drive an hour and check my traps versus, you know, before you had to literally be in a backcountry wilderness unit, which it makes it pretty much unfeasible for the working man. So no doubt, man. Um, Trapping's hard too. Like it, there's a science to it, and it's like it's gonna take a massive learning curve to get really good. Trapping is very hard to be. Able, the The biggest problem with trapping wolves is the wolves travel such a distance. So when they come through that that ridge or that pinch point that you're trapping, you have got to be spot on and catch them that time. Because if you don't, they're not going to be back for another month. You know. So what do you think the wolves like in your area? Let's just focus in on what you know the best. Like, for example, some of my best elk areas have a pack or two or three within, say, 10, 20 miles, which is it didn't used to be like that. So used to be, man, if the wolves were in, in where I'm elk hunting, give it a couple of days, come back. They won't be there the rest of the season. Uh, you know they got about a 21 to 28 day cycle and now it's a little bit different with these packs getting smaller little smaller packs is um they're they're bouncing around but they're doing smaller circles that's what i noticed um what do you look like what are you seeing what's your observations in your area on their behavior you know where i all cut now it's it's really not an issue at all um well, I honestly haven't ran into any wolves where I elk cut now. Um, but before it was just like you say, they, they would travel through. and uh, But the problem was I think there was multiple packs in a small area, and that's what really had the elk on edge and really is what made them change their, their habits, you know. Yeah. Well, so you got out this year and, and connected on – well, you've done – you've killed at least a couple wolves that I know of um, – are you setting out and actually wolf hunting specifically while you're shed hunting or are you literally like I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm going wolf hunting boys. Like how are you doing it? I'm going wolf hunting. That's pretty much it. It's a good excuse to get out and try and stay in shape and, you know, hit the mountain and get a good hike in and have a sandwich in your backpack and go for a nice, nice pull a big ridge, you know, and, and uh, yeah, just, just have a good time. But I, uh, I was fortunate this last winter, I actually got into a couple packs pretty heavily where I think I went like a dozen times or something like that. And I, I either physically saw the wolves or heard the wolves probably eight out of those 12 times. Like it was, it was pretty phenomenal. It was pretty easily to stay motivated when every time I went out, it felt like, you know, I was going to hammer one. So, so how do you take us through cliff notes version a day with Trav going wolf hunting. What's it look like? Uh, I get, probably the most important thing is being right on the winter range, right at daylight. And uh, first thing I'd do is I'd cruise up the highway. There's this big, long stretch of highway and uh, a bunch of roads. I'd cruise first thing, and I would just glass everything I could. Every little pullout, every little turn, I would just glass everything I could. I'd look at elk. I'd look at deer. I'd kind of see... Uh, how they're acting, that kind of thing, and uh, 
if I didn't see anything, then I would just come back and I'd pick a ridge and I'd just, I'd have a, a route picked out on Google Earth that I planned out the night before and I'd just, you know, get a good four to six mile hike in and, and when I got back to pick up, I'd head home. But it, it seems like a lot of those times while I'm doing that, you know, I might be hiking up that ridge and I might hear the wolves howl a couple canyons over and this country that I was hunting, I could really hone in on them. So I, I, I could be pretty specific to which canyon they'd be in. So I'd go down and I'd hit the highway in my pickup and I'd go and go up in that canyon and I would just, I'd just hunt it like you would anything else and, uh, wait for them to howl or whatever and make my next move. But man, it, it, it sure seemed to work good. So are you going to howl back at them or do you generally just, you're sniping? I'm, I'm sniping. I have, and I've watched wolves have, as I've howled and I've got them to howl. And, uh, this, this pack specifically, uh, there's enough pressure up there. They didn't want nothing to do with it. So I see. So how many total wolves do you see in this pack? Uh, I want to say, let's see. I want to say there was nine in that pack. Okay. And then when you finally pulled off your shot, um, imagine it was a poke. Did, were you able to select which one you got your first shot at? Um, and then how did they all react once you shot? Uh, well, the first wolf I killed out of that pack, uh, he was kind of a straggler and, uh, we were trying to cut him off and it worked out purpose perfect we came right to the saddle and we were kind of sitting there scratching our heads going where'd he go and uh, my buddy patrick he actually had to take a leak so he turns around and he's taking a leak and i look up and i see this magpie fly up over the ridge and uh as soon as that magpie flew up over the ridge i'm like man i, I don't know why something seemed weird about it and right behind it here comes that wolf and he's like 80 yards and he sees me and he takes off on a dead run and uh i just shot that thing just rolled him at you know i think he was about 150 yards at that time by the time i finally got a shot but so that one i ended up killing close and then uh i want to say it was like a week later or maybe a couple weeks later i got into the pack again and uh we we'd saw him from the highway i was with my my buddy rick and uh anyway we made a mad dash to cut him off and we knew they were going to be in this canyon and got above that canyon and just we sat there for like four hours thinking man if they come out anywhere it's like a shooting gallery here i should be able to get a shot and uh they didn't show they didn't show and my buddy rick needed to get back early that day so we start hiking back and i i just i just remember looking over my shoulders i kept glassing back because i just i knew they were going to pop out and man it i picked them off as they were going up this ridge and it was just a mad scramble we got down the arranged the first wolf, he was like 850. He had stopped and he just started howling for the first time all morning. And uh, anyway, I I couldn't calm myself down. I was so excited. I, I missed that wolf and they all kind of scattered. But uh, a few seconds later, a black one stopped and, and was looking down at us. They, he didn't know quite what happened because I think he was he was on the move when uh, I shot at the first one. Right. And he, he stopped and uh, he was 916 yards and I... I dialed up with my turret and everything and just dumped him and it was it was pretty cool but So do you think he was the alpha? Um no, I, I don't think so. He was uh there was one there's one in there that I think's the alpha but he was he was uh a big male but 
Yeah, it's hard to say. So, did you get it? Did you get him on a scale, or could you tell me if he broke a hundred pounds? You know, I honestly don't know. I mean, my best guess was somewhere between ninety and a hundred pounds. Like, yeah. it's a big dog, but yeah, you know, it's. I've never actually weighed one, so it's hard to. It's well, hard yeah, to I mean, people ask you all the time when you shoot a bear, like, "Well, what's it weigh?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't pack out bears whole, and I don't have a scale." And so uh, it's probably weighs less than you think, and that's the truth. But, uh, oh, man. So we've covered mule deer a little bit. We've covered archery. I'm going to get into, like, your day-to-day and your family and stuff because that stuff's really important on elk shape. We talk about that stuff because to be a really good hunter, you've got to have your shit together at home. And so we're going to get into that. But uh, let's let's, let's visit Spring Bear because, again, dude, you're just like me, man. Any excuse to get out. So – Take us through your favorite time of year to hunt bears in the spring and um, and kind of your style and what you've learned. Well, I, I really like spot and stock bear hunting just because it allows me to see the country and be on the move and have a backpack on and uh, that style of hunting. You know, I, I like I like hunting over bait too, don't get me wrong, but I've really gravitated towards uh, just spot and stock style hunting. Just I just like being on the move and seeing country, like I said, but... Uh, you know, for me, I think, uh, at least in the area that I am, the best hunting for me is always early. So I would say opening day, April 15th, between, between, uh, that and the first of May for me is the best opportunity I have for bow hunting bears. Um, just because the grass is really concentrated and those bears aren't traveling as much. I think as it gets later and all the grass kind of, all the snow melts off and the grass is, uh, everywhere it's in the trees and, and stuff like that. I think, uh, just being able to pin them down is, is a lot tougher. So. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I have only killed a couple bears in April, but I see way more bears in April and May. And for me, it's always just getting to, in the country. I hunt the topography is not friendly. It's just really steep. And yeah. the canyons are big. So it's just seeing bears is not a problem. It's just getting to them. Conversely, the bears can kind of be pretty good early June when they start rutting. It seems like they all kind of start doing stuff almost like elk. They all kind of start congregating a little bit in certain areas. And you can start seeing multiple boars and stuff in areas. It kind of gets competitive. But there's definitely a lull for me towards the end of May. But each year is different. Um, again, pretty open country that you're hunting. Yeah, I, I, I generally, well, I wouldn't say that. I like to hunt, uh, uh, thick timber next to open hillsides, uh, creek drainages. And I obviously like to get a good vantage where I can see as much country as I can. And I think for me, it's the same as it is for you. It's, it's nasty, rough country and seeing bears isn't the problem. It's, closing the gap and having the bear still be there when by the time you get there and be able to put a stock on him is what you know is the the deal breaker yep that sounds familiar so this time of year like middle august late august like are you scouting after work are you scouting deer just on your three days off like how are you getting to pattern your shooter buck or find your pocket of bucks that you want to go after uh, well, before, well, basically before I had kids, I yeah, we scout. call that BK before kids, <laughs> before kids, 
I scowl. I would scowl. I mean, every second I had, and uh, I put a lot of time in. I'd have a revolving list of places I wanted to check, places that I knew bucks hung out in. So I'm checking bucks that I know are there to see if there's any bucks that I think are going to have good potential. You know, I mean, I'd start way early. I'd start uh, the first of June. You know, just kind of learning roads and. You know, a lot of times those bucks, you can tell, you know, just by their bases and you can tell if they're going to be a good buck. Uh, and I'd kind of make a note and move on and just cover a bunch of country and learn as much as I could. And now that I've had kids and obviously family time is, uh, way more priority than it ever has been. Uh, I, I really get one day a weekend to myself to go hit it hard and scout. So thank goodness I put all my time in uh, before kid BK, I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, just cause I can fall back on that. You know, I, I know the places that the deer are. I know I, I've just, I put a lot of time in, and I mean, bottom line, it, I put a lot of time in. So, yeah, it's nice to have your areas kind of figured out and then go find what's going on. Who's, who's who in the zoo. So, and family is a game changer. So BK life, it's cool, and if you're listening and that's you, you better suck it up and squeeze every drop out because what he just said is so important. You really bankroll a lot of good areas, and you kind of expand your knowledge, which is so much of the game is knowing areas and being able to change and bounce around. But once you have kids, man, it priorities shift, and it's not – just being honest here, it's not like my favorite shift, okay? I still selfishly could probably just go hunt for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and scout and scout and scout, but it's just got a price tag with it that's not good. So what are your secrets to balancing this really difficult equation? You know, I'm I'm still learning those. <laughs> that that, <laughs> Me that too. equation, it's, uh, you know... I've definitely getting better at drawing the line and just trying to, you know, especially during the week, spend as much time I can with my kids and my wife and just, uh, just, it's a constant struggle. You know, a guy's got to work, he's got to work hard so he can, uh, you know, be able to afford to hunt and have a good lifestyle for your family. So, you know, I mean, most all my time is consumed working. So the little time that I do have is divided up between my family and fun and, you know, it's just a balance of, of time. You know, I try to, you know, especially earlier in the year and it's just starting to get to be my time, like all through the the spring and winter and summer months when I'm not hunting, I'm just really trying to spend time with my family and do my honeydews and pay my diligence. And, uh, now that it's coming into, to August, um, I'm really, it's going to be more my time and I'm going to be a little more selfish, but at least I can feel better about it knowing that I've given up a lot of time and, I shouldn't say giving up a lot of time. I've just made my priority my family and my responsibilities. So Yeah, I think you said it really well. In fact, it's just kind of shuffling the prioritization of family. And then towards the end of you know summer, it's like they kind of know. They know what's coming. And it. I don't know about you, but man, it, I'm, I'm gone a lot in September especially. But I have, I have hunts on in August. I got hunts in October. In November, part of December, yeah, <laughs> you know it bleeds all over, and then there's all those things, man. It's like shed season, application season, scouting season, three sixty five, uh, trail camera season, you name it. And there's always an excuse to be out, so you have to really 
pulling the reins. And I'll be honest, man, I've I've drawn the line in shed hunting. I, I just don't do it that much anymore um, because there's a, it's just it's not worth it. Uh, bear hunting, I do it a lot less than I used to. And scouting out of state is just off the table. So like last year, I drew Nevada elk, didn't scout it. Just I had to use Google Earth and all those other things. And this year, uh, Wyoming, never been there. Would love to have been down scouting, especially about now. But uh, I'm just going to go in blind, man, and just have to rely on some e-scouting and stuff. So, um, But I think it's worth it. How many kids do you have? Uh, I've got two. So You got a boy and a girl? or Boy and a girl. So Well done. Are you guys done with we're, that? or We're done, yep. I got a four-year-old and a seven-month-old. So. Oh, a newborn. Yeah, yep. life's busy. Thank you for timing those uh, bursts appropriately. Sounds like you did a good job on that end. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Okay. No September babies. No. I always laugh when I see that. But um, when it comes to um, the family and your wife, is there any like tips, tricks, tactics, and we're not talking hunting here, to like when it comes to, I would say the two words I use when, it talk, when I talk about spouses on this podcast is communication slash expectations um what is your wife's expectations of you when it comes to communicating your hunt plans oh she i'm i've always been kind of spurred of the moment and she knows that um but she pretty much knows uh during hunting season the weekends i'm going to be gone uh and i try to communicate those things as <laughs> as best i can um but I've I've got a pretty good wife. She's good about. Uh, she knows that I'm not happy if I'm not out living. You know, I feel like if I don't get to go do what makes me happy, I just I feel like uh, I just feel like I'm not living. You know, not yep. that, not not that I'm not living when I'm spending time with my family. That's not it at all. Because usually when I'm gone, that's when I'm thinking about my family the most. You know, and I, I can't wait back. To, get back and see my wife and see my kids and stuff like that. But there's just something about going out and immersing yourself, you know, outdoors and in the wilderness. And it's just, I don't, I don't know how to put it. It just kind of puts your mind at ease and, and lets all the everyday stresses of life go away. And I think, I think my wife can see that and she's very supportive of it. And, uh, like I said, I've really been learning, uh, the last few years, how to balance my time. So I'm, I'm definitely still learning, but I'm, uh, giving it my best. So dude, this is the gold stuff. I mean, this is stuff that other people don't talk about that I like to bring up cause it's real. And I do feel like you kind of have got to have everything dialed at home so you can be dialed out in the mountains. Um, not to say hunting with a clear conscience, so to speak, but hunting with good peace in your heart, knowing that, you know, everybody's good. Things have been communicated and you're out there to really hunt your hardest, which is, both our styles like it's just get after it time because it's pretty finite so when it comes to elk hunting i'm going to bring it back to that because we're talking september's right around the corner are you more of a backpack hunter or are you a spike camp hunter base camp are you very mobile are you like how do you do it man i would say mobile slash backpack um you know covering country in a pickup and and glassing and seeing where the elk are uh and then moving in and backpacking in on them, that's kind of, you know, 
I might be in one drainage one day and there might not be what I, I'm looking for. And then the next day I'm 10 miles away in the pickup and, and find them, glass them four or five miles out or whatever and, and move in and go in with my backpack for, uh, you know, I might bring enough stuff for three days and try to stay with the elk, you know? Yeah, I like that. And in having the flexibility to kind of do that and balance and be mobile, learning spots, something we talk about on here, a lot of newbie hunters listen to this podcast because it's mainly about the elk hunting learning curve so um, learning spots is important and learning country when you talk about your elk hunting area like obviously you're picturing something in your mind right now how well do you know that area how long does it take you to get to know that area what's it take for a guy to really learn an area um man it, it just takes getting out and scouting and putting your time in and hunting and uh being not having the mindset that you have to be tied down to that place like that's one thing that's i shouldn't say it's like this spot or this you know usually it's mountain ranges because for me it seems like every year it's different and i don't know why yes you know the elk might not be in one drainage one year they might be you know a few miles away and it's just being mobile and and knowing where those like those elk like to hang and just uh just uh, man just being able to just send it you just got to go for it and give it your all and, and be mobile and uh just pay attention to the little things and and uh just keep that stuff in the back of your mind for when things aren't going good and you're not uh, you you have that next canyon to check out you're like oh two years ago i got into all these elk here let's go check that out or whatever that's that's kind of what's worked best for me and and rick too so just so do you, when you guys work together do you have specific bulls that you are targeting, whether it be you have history, maybe you got them on camera, or you keep seeing them, but you're having a tough time getting on them. Like, how much repeat bulls are you on? Um, I would say we're on a lot of different bulls, you know, and a lot of. I mean, if we if we get on a really really big bull, we'll stick with them. But it seems like most of the really really big bulls, uh especially in this open country they've got a lot of cows and it's just really really tough so <laughs> i mean it's it's one thing you get a bull alone uh in the right situation it's uh he's done for <laughs> but uh you get 30 cows on a hillside and a couple satellite bulls and a herd bull in there and just being able to keep up with them and and have they're just they always seem to be one step ahead of you like where they bed and and uh the wind direction and stuff like that like they they know their environment well and they know how to play it so yeah they play their cards well and they have huge advantage because they just the the intimate knowledge of the country and the program and uh, i couldn't agree more so when you're in the country with rick let's just say you guys are out together and you got a specific bull picked out or a herd of elk would you say it's more likely that you guys i hate to use the word slow play but like chill a little bit and see where they're going or is it a scenario where you have to like literally try to keep up with them just to see where they're going or the intercept game you're with them and you're going to try to cut them off like would you say what's most what's more common than than uh, those two situations i guess I would say in the country that I hunt, the second we see that bull we want to go after, we're throwing on our pack and we are throwing down the boots to try to cut that bull off. And then, you know, if it if they're out in an, bedded out in an open spot or going a timber patch, I mean, every situation is different. Um, 
I'd say, uh, yeah, I'd say most of the time it's just trying to cut them off and then, uh, uh, planning for an evening hunt if it doesn't work out, you know? Yeah. So you can literally stay with that herd almost all day if you, if you need to. That's it. Like it, it's not once, you know, one attempt and it doesn't work out and the elk are still on the move and we're turning and going back. It's, that's why we take our packs and we'll take, yeah. you know, multi-day, uh, you will bring enough stuff for multiple days and we'll stick with the elk. And that, that's the biggest thing is being persistent, like, especially elk hunting. Elk hunting is tough and it's a lot of work. I can tell you right now, elk hunting is way more work than deer hunting. Like no doubt. I, in, in my mind all day long. So, uh, uh, the, the country that you hunt deer in, you know, a lot of times it can be a lot tougher, but the fact that the deer don't move as far, you know, they're, they're going to stay in a basin where, I mean, I, we've hunted elk that, I mean, they literally cover, they might be going into some fields or something like that and they cover 15 miles in a day. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I believe it. And I used to not believe it till I've seen it. And especially those ag elk that, come way down onto private and then head back into BLM or national. Holy smokes, man. They can cover some ground and fast. And it seems like they know how to make sure the wind's in their favor in transition. It's it's tricky. Being in shape is super important for elk. This podcast is called Elk Shape. You pack a lot year-round. I know that. But when, when you can't, what are you doing to stay in basically elk shape ready year-round? Um, I mean, for the most time, I just try to get out and stay active. I'd say that's my biggest thing. You know, right now I've been running, I've been lifting weights. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say nowhere near on the scale that you do, but enough that, uh, that gets me to the weekend and just getting stronger for shooting my bow. And, uh, I put a lot of miles on, on the weekend. So, and do you have like a little garage gym or home gym? I do, yeah. What do you got in there? I, I literally just have a weight bench with uh, dumbbells, uh, all, all that stuff, you know. Just, uh, yeah, Not, nothing extravagant. So literally yeah. just a weight bench and some dumbbells and, you know, the old push-ups and sit-ups, that kind of thing. So Okay, I have two more things that I want to definitely make sure I cover and then we can BS about whatever. But um, when it comes to drawing your sheep tag – in Idaho, you drew the resident sheep tag, I believe, in a wilderness, and yep. you got it done in an area that has low odds. Like just getting the tag is one thing, but actually getting one is another. And you did it. You shot a monster. Um, how the hell did you find the sheep that you killed? Like, what was what was your tactics leading up to that hunt and finding sheep and getting in that country? Man, uh, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of luck in it. Good. But, yeah, <laughs> luck favors I, uh, the prepared. Man, that, that tag that I had been putting in for, I'd been putting in for it for quite a few years, I think. Man, like eight years or something like that. But uh, it's liter- it was literally the best odds to draw tag. That being said, that's the toughest hunt to kill a ram in. You know, they go several years without killing sheep at all. Um, I talked to... Uh, outfitters. I talked to guys that have hunted it. Um, you know, one of the guys that, uh, actually drew the tag the same year I did. Uh, uh I talked to him afterwards and it, it just seemed like 
like everybody that has had that tag, I mean, you're putting 20, 30 days on before you see Rams. Oh, it's, it's, and it, the, the problem with the country is it's just big, nasty country. And a lot of the country is the same. So it's really hard to pinpoint where the sheep were at. But I, uh, I just kind of had an, uh, a gut feeling where at the elevation that I thought the Rams were going to be and talking to guys that had killed Rams, um, and where they had killed them. Uh, I just kind of, I went in it into it with a game plan knowing how I was going to hunt it and, you know, the biggest thing is I gave myself the time. Yeah, I spotted my ram day one and killed him day two. But I went in there with with uh, 12 days worth of food. It's the biggest, the biggest, heaviest pack I've ever went in. Uh, and that was my plan just because I, I wanted to basically cover the entire unit. That was my plan because, yeah. you know, you get a once-in-a-lifetime tag. I was going to give it my all. It was going to kill me or I was going to kill a ram. So. Who was the most helpful out of all the people you contacted, and why? Um, man, I'd have to say another hunter. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, know if I dare say his name or don't, not. Don't, no, don't say his name. Just because I don't want to give it away. Right. Uh, but because friends, I have friends, a lot of good friends that, that put in for the same tag I have, but... uh. Yeah, another hunter that uh, big time sheep guy uh, that just did a ton of research, talked to biologists, hunted it. Uh, he had been in contact with another guy that had hunted it before, so he just had a lot of intel. And he actually gave me all the stuff off his Google Earth. He sent me all his pins and everything. He said, "This is where I saw sheep. This is where I ended up killing my ram." Uh, and like I like I said, I talked to a guide that had guided in there for 20 years, and he drew the tag, and he ended up killing a banana horn ram that he hunted for like 28 days before he saw his first ram. So I knew it was going to be tough. Yeah. When when you're talking to an outfitter that guides in the unit, and he finally draws a tag for himself, and it takes him 28 days, and he kills a banana horn ram, I mean, you know what kind of hunt it is. No doubt. Uh, Did you get flown over that country ever? I didn't know. No, I had hunted in that country bear hunting before, and uh, I've always had a love for that country. So I've I spent a lot of time on Google Earth and in the country itself, just just kind of learning it. But man, is it it that will uh, I don't even know how to explain it. You pull up to that place and you look at it and. It's either going to scare you away or it's going to make a man out of you. That's all it is. <laughs> that's all there is to it. So, Dude, I think that's so cool. I love hearing that it just – it all the work paid off. I mean delayed gratification. That's like one of my buzzwords and I just think that defines it. And you're just a pretty determined guy and it's contagious. I, I want people to feed off that. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is like a nasty segue, but you – built your own house for the most part from what i could tell and you're pretty amazing by the way so that leads me into like fiscal fitness elk shape fitness we got to talk about fiscal fitness man how did you do it what was the economics behind it and how are you guys doing in that situation like buying dirt building your own custom home doing it yourself as much as possible Man, I can tell you what, I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yep. But, you know, kind of the situation I was in, uh, uh, you know, I wanted a big, nice house that I could grow into, and it was kind of a one-and-done sort of situation. And uh, we actually were in a good position where the market was good here. We were able to sell our first house and, and make some pretty good money that we could roll into building this house. And, uh, you know, I'd say the, the driving force behind it was uh, I like nice things, but... I'm a blue collar guy, you know, on a blue collar budget. So I knew that if I wanted uh, the house of my dreams with uh, the trophy room and and big rock fireplace and all the stuff I wanted uh, to spend the rest of my life, I was gonna I was gonna have to work for it, and that was sweat equity, you know. So man, I learned how to be a painter. I learned how to frame. I learned how to put in hardwood floors. I mean, everything. <laughs> I learned how to side a house. I mean, it's it just just did it, you know. I watched a lot of YouTube, and you know, I work construction. I'm an electrician, so I'm pretty. Uh, that helps. Yeah, I mean, that a lot of years of just seeing how things are done, and you know, I I I've got a I like to woodwork too, you know. So that's kind of a hobby. I know how things go together. Like I'm pretty good at seeing how things go together. Um, but it, you know, it it was definitely a, a panic moment when. I had all this money sitting in an account that I had to use responsibly to get my house built and it was all on me, you know? So <laughs> it, it was definitely a lot of work, but I, I did have some, uh, uh, great friends and, uh, subcontractors and stuff that helped too. So, so when you work in that, you, you sell your house, it closes, you got your, you got your cash, maybe a construction loan, whatever you, you get your dirt, you start breaking ground, where do the Nwatneys live while they are building? And I'm imagining you're still working four tens and then rolling into an hour here, an hour there, and then on your days off, just burning it down from sunrise oh, to sunset. I burn it down. So we just rented a place about five minutes away and uh, smart uh, little farmhouse. And uh, yeah, I, I work all day and go straight from work to here. I work man 16 17 hour days every single day for nine months so that will burn a guy out and then in the middle of that you know i've got this this uh passion to go hunting so <laughs> i had to i had to make my days count so oh anyway like, but, like no other i mean that pressure and you don't have time no it's like i've got three days to kill a bull so this no. is it's happening <laughs> Yep, there's a five point. That's gonna work. I'm going after him because this is my chance to kill a bull, and that's what I did. So no, that's cool, Trav. So when you were working with subcontractors, could you like tell them, "Hey, dude, I'm gonna work alongside you. I'm gonna pay you cash or whatever, and I'm like your go-to guy. Like I'm your free labor." Um, is that kind of how the, on some of the no, stuff you couldn't or the the stuff that I brought uh, subcontractors in, you know, was plumbing, HVAC. I, I just let them do their thing. You know, I didn't want to screw with roofing my house or anything like that, but everything I could do, you know, myself, I did, you know, did you I do did. the drywall yourself? I didn't do that just cause I, I screw I, I that. Picked, yeah. <laughs> no, that was cheap enough and a good, and I'd saved enough. You know, I, I did, uh, the floor framing and, uh, closet framing and stuff like that. You know, I, I had a, a couple buddies that, that 
for the most part frame my house, but I did all, I picked up all the odds and ends and did everything that I could. You know, I obviously, uh, wired my house and I've done all the landscaping and all the hardwood, all the flooring, uh, all the trim. I, I actually, uh, cut down black walnut trees and had them, uh, milled. And then, uh, I squared them up and, uh, sanded them and, put lacquer on them and I did all my trim out of black walnut, you know, that I, mm. <laughs> from a tree that I cut down. So it's pretty cool. I love that, man. When you can put finishing, t- I mean, the finishing touch is what makes a home, but when you can do it yourself and like literally tell the story of where that piece of trim came from and PS, I hate trimming. I'm seriously challenged there, but I, I do it. Um, no, I just, I like the whole do it yourself, everything and the sweat equity. And then like, Dude, like you don't want to do that ever again, but the dividends, like the actual financial um, situation you guys are in where you can literally turn key in nine months and you save so much money by doing all that yourself, uh, your house value, and especially in today's market. I mean, man, you're way ahead. And so that's cool. It's a great place to raise your kids. Do you got an archery set up at your place? Do you have any acreage? Oh yeah, I've, I've got two acres here, so I'm I'm able to shoot about as far as I want to, and so yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, man, that's cool. Um, well, we, you've covered most of the things I wanted to cover. Like I kind of had a plan, and it's fun for me because like I've stayed connected via social, um, and I've known about you. Uh, I think you've done some videos with um, something on YouTube. I've seen some of those. You might have been, you know, been on another podcast or two. But uh, you're definitely quality people, man. Just a hardworking guy out there who's getting it done year after year, and I like that. Um, for this year, what do you kind of like? What's your biggest hopes and dreams for this year um, when it comes to your season? Do you kind of have it lined out? Yeah, I think. Uh... I mean, I'm really going to focus on trying to kill a big buck uh, early, obviously, um, and then just just jump. Right, you know, that's one thing. Uh, I like it all. So when I'm done deer hunting, I'm antelope hunting, I'm elk hunting. I'm going to buy another tag if if that you know. It's 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 one thing to the next to the next to the next. You know, I'm a weekend warrior and I just love it. So. Um, I'll try to squeeze in as much as I can squeeze in and and that's it. You know, I just like to just go for it. So that's, that's what it's all about to me, you know, especially just all public land over the counter, uh, make your own opportunity. That's just what I, that's, you know, that's what drives me. So yeah, word, preach on, dude, appreciate your time. Where can people find you on socials? We'll start there. Yeah, on Instagram, you can just, it's Travis underscore Nowatney and uh, Facebook. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's about it. So, Where can we find those YouTube videos I'm talking about? I know I've seen something. Uh, I've got some on Switchback Outdoors. Uh, it's Switchback Outdoors TV, I believe, on YouTube. So, Look those up. There's some good ones in there. Um, it's been years since I've seen them, but I just remember that's where I first kind of put your face to your name. Um, have you done writing before or outdoor writing articles, anything? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I've, I've had some articles in, in magazines and stuff like that that are, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Haven't you, I swear I've read something here. Or there. Yeah. I've been in, uh, Eastman's and hunting fool and Western hunter. I think I've been in about all of them. So, 
see guys this is how humble he is like i asked him a direct question and he's like eh, no. uh, i knew it so yeah man you've you've written some pieces you've written some stories um you're just a humble guy man you're just you're, you're the guy i want to bring you on next year and kind of hear how your season went and how you are continuing to balance kids growing up and stuff and just everybody should follow along you know on his story he, he posts some from time to time and uh, just a real good dude, serious as they get, hunter, and well-balanced. He shoots bows, he shoots long-range weapons. Notice I didn't ask you any nerd questions on long-range stuff because I don't know anything to ask. Uh, <laughs> but I'm strongly considering stepping up my game in that department just for wolf hunting in the winter. But um, yeah, man, stay on the line. We'll, we'll chit-chat a little bit afterwards. But guys, this is Travis Nowatney, one of the best elk hunters, one of the best just Idaho hunters you're going to get on this podcast. I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thanks. I, I really appreciate it. So, Welcome to the Two Minute Drill, sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up, offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs, and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey, and here is our topic of the day. All right, Corey. So last week, we you talked about wind a little bit and getting winded. I want to go dive a little deeper. Can you give us, theoretically, your, I don't know, I would say your overview of best practices when it comes to keeping the wind in your favor when you're in the mountains and there's so much going on there. Yeah. And that's, you know, I I think we could spend an hour talking about this topic, but just, just as a brief nutshell overview, winds in the mountains are diurnal, which means that they switch twice a day. So in the mornings when it's cool, the thermals are going to be coming down the mountain as the, the landscape warms up, as the hillside warms up, they're going to switch and they're going to start pulling back up the mountain. And then in the evenings, as the shadows hit the hillside again, the ground starts to cool, and that causes another reversal, and the, the thermals come down. Just understanding that can be really helpful as we determine how to hunt an area, how to move in on an elk, how to set up on an elk, uh, even as far as how to track an elk. You know, it's, it's so important to always, always obey the wind. And I can't stress it enough. If if there's one thing that I think I would want to stress to elk hunters of any experience level, it is put wind as the most important thing that you do every minute of every day you're spending in elk country. Uh, so I, you know, my plan my day around it. I start out at lower elevations typically, and I'll hike up the hill in the morning because the thermals are coming down. I've got the wind in my favor. Middle of the day, I'm at the top of the mountain. Now I can side hill across the top or bugle down into canyons with the thermals coming up. So if I hear an elk bugle, I can drop down to them with the wind again in my favor. And then in the evenings, I've always got to make sure I'm down below those elk. And, and it's important to understand what the thermals are doing right then when you're calling to an elk, but maybe even more importantly, what the thermals are going to be doing in 20 minutes or 40 minutes so that you don't get caught right underneath the elk as the thermals are changing. You might have good thermals for 20 minutes, but 20 minutes from now, they might transition and be blowing uphill. And if you're directly below or above that elk, that can be the end of the story for uh, for that hunt for the day. Hey, elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. 
Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. And that's it, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You have a lot of choices. You chose us. We appreciate it. So if you want to give us feedback, feel free to shoot me an email anytime. Elkshape at gmail.com. Give me the good, the bad, the ugly. If you have future guests you'd like to see come on or changes that we could make or have questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear your feedback. And we'll do a Q&A session sometime soon. So send those questions in and we will tackle them here. They can cover anything from fitness, nutrition. We can get as nerdy as you want. Programs, programming, elk tactics, elk calling, do it yourself, going solo, anything you want, archery, we'll, we'll cover it here. Good luck, guys. Season's just right around the corner, and I can't wait to hear all your exciting stories. Be safe out there, and thanks for listening to the Elk Shape Podcast.